Insights, solutions, and networking all come together at RSA Conference. Join a global cybersecurity community at rsaconference.com forward slash ITSP MAG24. We're selling the cybersecurity insincerely, buying it indiscriminately, and deploying it ineffectively. You're listening to ITSP Magazine, and you are very welcome to a new At The Edge podcast. Today's episode is made possible by the generosity of our sponsor, Nintex. Nintex is a global standard for process management and automation. More than 8,000 public and private sector clients across 90 countries turn to the Nintex platform to accelerate progress on their digital transformation journeys by quickly and easily managing, automating, and optimizing business processes. Be sure to visit their directory listing here on ITSB Magazine to learn more about how they can help you with your technology, cybersecurity, and privacy programs. To the team at Nintex, we appreciate your support. Uh, we're going to be talking about uh, 5G, which is a pretty broad topic, as you can imagine, uh, with all that's uh, capable with this new technology. We're going to focus in on uh, security and privacy today. And to to uh, help me have that conversation, I have uh, three folks from uh, all over the place uh, joining me. And first off, we have uh, Patrick English from BT, British Telecom. We have Jason Hoffman from Mobile Edge X and Chris Novak from Verizon Enterprise Solutions. Thanks, uh, thanks guys for joining me. Hi, thank you. Pleasure. Thanks. Maybe just a quick word from each of you. Maybe a little bit about yourself and your role and uh, your interaction with 5G at, at this point. And if you want to touch on security and privacy, is part of what you work on as well. That would be great. So, uh, Patrick will lead off with you. Yeah, sure. So, uh, Patrick English uh, with BT. I've, I work as head of cyber DevOps and Hunt. So, more on the operational side of cybersecurity, uh, but I also do quite a lot in transformational cybersecurity, looking at architectures of the future and emerging technologies and how um, security, such as confidentiality, integrity, availability, uh, applies to those, and, and particularly in, in an enterprise context. And um, so, for, for the purposes of today, I. I I think I can probably contribute more of the enterprise side of where 5G is going and uh, and bits and pieces about how BT is uh, dealing with 5G and its core networks and things like that. Love it. Perfect. Jason. Yeah, hi. Um, I'm Jason Hoffman. I uh, run a company called uh, Mobile Edge uh, X. Um, we were founded by and we're a wholly owned subsidiary of Deutsche Telekom. And uh, the purpose behind um, the founding of us was that, uh, at least for the the DT group of companies and some other operators that we work with, uh, we're largely going after the questions of, you know, who is the edge for and what are the additional revenue streams that open up for us from a 5G perspective in both the consumer and the uh, enterprise side. Nice one. And uh, you and I have known each other for a while, and, and your your background and experiences I'm, I'm definitely interested in, in tapping into today with the cloud and networks and all the whole, the whole like. So thanks for uh, being part of this. And certainly last but not least, Chris, uh, tell us who you are. Sure. Chris Novak. Um, so I actually lead a group within Verizon. Uh, it's called the Verizon Threat Research Advisory Center, and I've been with Verizon now for um, over 15 years. So uh, I guess uh, prior, uh, well prior to uh, the existence of 5G technology. Um, but what my group specifically focuses on is cybersecurity elements, in particular as it relates to things most often in the areas of incident response, um, digital forensics, and threat intelligence. And so um, less kind of on the internally focused side of things, more on the how do we help our customers, you know, enterprises, businesses, um, you know, government agencies, et cetera, um, in, in order to be more secure, more cyber aware, and uh, appropriately ready. Yeah, awesome. And uh, great. Yeah, yeah. I know. I, 
I'm a huge fan of the work your your team does in the uh, data breach investigation report and some of the other other reports you guys put out too. So uh, keep up the good work there, and uh, let's let's uh, expose some of what you're seeing there as well. Um, so ultimately, I want to get to how how we have to look at security and privacy as we're building solutions and leveraging a platform uh, driven by 5G. And the two areas that I, I think are relevant are speed and scale, and perhaps there are other attributes that, that you'd like to enlighten me on that uh, play a role here. But it, it, from my perspective, it's kind of the infrastructure for the infrastructure uh, in many cases, right? And so with that in mind, um, this it's going to touch a lot, if not a, almost everything uh, that we do technically in the future. So who, who wants to lead it off? And the three areas I want to kind of bucket our discussion into to start is what are, what are the possibilities, both near-term and long-term, for the business of the future that's run by IT and OT, um, the, the infrastructure of the future that's uh, driven by I, ICS, industrial control systems, and then kind of the society is a future that's where everything is connected with a sensor and a device. So let's start with ITOT, business of the future. Who wants to take us down the path of what, what's possible with 5G? Before we dive into ITOT, is it, is it worth just contemplating just near-term, long-term possibilities that you're, you're starting off on there with, with, without talking ITOT? Because there's, sure. there's, there's something that's been sort of bothering me for a while, which, which is about how... Um, the use cases for for 5G are, are sort of, I would say, medium long-term right now. Quite a lot of the ones that get talked about a lot, at least. Um, so like smart cities, you, it's going to take a while to build that up. Vehicle-to-vehicle um, -vehicle communications, we don't have autonomous vehicles right now. They're coming. I mean, we do have a few riding around on the streets, but not enough to need to talk to each other so much. So um, I sort of view those as medium long-term right now. Um, but what I think is more exciting in the security space for 5G is um, that the extra bandwidth that it, that it provides can, can immediately be used by extra monitoring and visibility for security purposes. And, and so I, I think that's what's most exciting in an enterprise space. And, and that, that, of course, has, has uh, impacts on ITOT in terms of um, being able to place more sensors around your factory deployments and things so you can get more visibility there too. But I think just in general, that extra bandwidth um, w will probably be used up in, in, in the immediate term uh, for, for visibility from a security perspective. So when we look at uh, especially things like IT, OT, so I actually kind of long time ago started in an OT world. Um, it's probably in the, the mid-90s. Um, and, and the big concern around OT at the time was Y2K, and everyone was trying to make sure that the machines continued to work <laughs> into the new year. Um, and then that went off without a hitch, and uh, OT kind of seemed to fade away um, and, and hasn't really been talked about for a long time. And now we see all sorts of you know cyber threats that are starting to hit OT environments unrelated to 5G. But I think the other thing that's interesting about that discussion is 5G is starting to make all sorts of things interesting again. Things that, you know, back in the, the, the 90s, the 80s, or even before from an OT perspective that people probably never even contemplated doing. As we move more into a 5G world, I think a lot of that is going to have interesting transformations because the IT world historically has long been connected to the internet and that's really where the internet kind of started was born and lots of the amazing growth and innovation has happened around the IT side of things but as we start connecting OT environments industrial control systems um, in a, a wireless capability like that I think honestly the the opportunities are, are going to be kind of all sorts of exciting. Um, you know, we, we talk about other things like, you know, autonomous driving and, and things like that. In fact, I was just, you know, I was just at our headquarters the other day and um, I was surprised to see we actually have autonomous shovels that uh, are 5G powered and they, they drive around our campus and will take you from different buildings um, on the campus and there's these little kind of, you know, 5G powered buggies that'll, that'll shuttle you around. So it's kind of interesting to see how it's already starting to happen. Um, it's, you know, obviously not quite mainstream in all those examples just yet, um, but I think a lot of that is just kind of demonstrating the the art of the possible. I'm, I'm curious, is 5G a required element for 
autonomous vehicles like that, or is it just they're ha- they happen to be built around the same time that that five G is coming available? So, uh, yeah, that's a great question. I don't think five G is necessarily required for it, but I think five G enables capabilities that you wouldn't be able to do with a higher latency or lower bandwidth network. And I think that's where people are getting all sorts of excited about 5G is the fact that you can actually have data processed analytics happen, feedback to devices. I mean, ultimately, if you're not moving very fast, and the fact that a signal may take a while to get to you may not be a, a big deal. But when you're in a car traveling at, you know, 50, 60 plus miles an hour, if there is something that that vehicle needs to know in order to take some specific action, it obviously needs to know that as fast as possible in order to be able to react. Otherwise, obviously, the consequences are more significant. And so I think that the angle there that the industry is looking at is what kind of communications could vehicles do with one another? What kind of communications could vehicles do with the environment around them if they could actually transmit that information fast enough to then also act on it? Yeah, yeah, totally. I think I think that um, smart traffic is probably probably where, where that might go, where the vehicle-to-vehicle communications can start to actually make decisions as a group where they can say, okay, if we're all going to go down this same, this same route, we're going to hit traffic where we can't move. So why don't we make a decision where, you know, half of us go this way and half of us go this way. And, and it's that kind of intelligence overlay, which I think 5G could probably provide from a vehicle to vehicle perspective. Um, but absolutely, I don't, I don't think it's necessarily uh, a, a, a core caveat for, for autonomous driving. I think you can onboard lots of the algorithms and, and do, do most of the autonomy in the vehicle itself, but then maybe over the air updates and, um, and more smart, smart stuff can be overlaid with 5G. Would 5G be the only network and communications path uh, available in an environment, or is it one of many perhaps? That exists. No, it, it ends up being. I mean, the, the whole, the whole, the whole point of even the five G architecture and the like is that it's multi-layer and multi-standard and multi-band, and you're going to converge and um, and uh, yeah, it's one of these types of changes where you know even LTE and 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 you know I mean three G and four G and Wi Fi are meant to be like software features of a five G system. You know, so so it's one of these types of things where there's enough of an architectural change and, you know, it's meant to be sort of that type of converged system where, you know, it sort of doesn't matter. And I think going back to the the points the guys were just talking about, there, there aren't going to be any hard requirements on any of these technologies to make anything, you know, like possible, you know, because even in the case of you know, cars and you, and you look at like the autonomous car space, there's a lot of interest right now in just um, using these types of deployments and, and doing simulated driving, but still doing it on as realistic an environment as possible. Right. So not necessarily driving a real car sort of like out there. Um, or when you just look at, you know, the fact that anything we do there is still going to be, five, seven, nine years before it shows up in a production automobile that somebody buys off a lot, you know, for example. You know, and so the, the, the product development cycles are long enough in a lot of that device world where, um, you know, even if, even, if it's a, even if it's another decade before 6G shows up, you know, then you start to, that, 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 that kind of stuff has to start being thought about with like a BMW roadmap anyway, right? So. Yeah, and I'd add to that that I, I think probably some of the areas where you're going to see some of the faster um, speed to market with 5G apparatus is probably going to be in the areas of, of IoT. And I think that's probably largely one, you know, the autonomous vehicles, there's all sorts of regulations and things like that. The whole production cycle, as was mentioned, that will take time. Um, And obviously, there's also a a higher cost to enter that market, both for the the manufacturers and the consumers. Uh, But when we look at IoT, they're much more, um, uh, typically, they're, they're lesser expensive, more, I don't know if I want to say commodity 
um, in many cases, consumer focused, produced at scale. So I think as organizations start to see what they can do or entrepreneurs start to come up with new ideas, the ability to develop that in a 5G capable world may mean that there's features and functionality that consumers or even businesses can take advantage of that they might not otherwise have been able to do um, feasibly before. And when you do it at the IoT level, it, it generally is, you know, you're, you're talking much smaller size physically and cost-wise. Um, and when you look at some of the other benefits of 5G beyond just things like the, the speed and the latency improvements, typically, you know, what we're seeing across the different manufacturers of 5G-capable devices is they're also seeing improved battery life and things like that, which in an IoT world is also another, you know, big positive. So I could see some of those areas being kind of early and faster adopters. Well, and it goes back to like the, the core topic you've talked about on the podcast in that a lot of what's discussed around 5G is about latency, 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 latency. And in fact, when, when we look at um, both the consumer and enterprise use cases we've been doing in markets like Germany and, and, and the U.S. for the last couple of years, a lot of the interest is largely around data sovereignty, privacy, and like chain of custody around, you know, you know, like where was a video made as it gets uploaded and so on like that. And can we sort of attest that entire sort of path and the like. Um, so a, lo a lot of the use cases, when you look at the core interest in them, you know, yeah, yeah, are, are around privacy and data security and data sovereignty, you know, type, type sort of interest. And then the assumption is more, um, okay, when we make this improvement, we're going to go from 30 down to 10 milliseconds. When we do this, it'll go from 10 to five. When it does this, it'll go from five to one. Okay, you know, what time frame does that happen on? It's like, well, between now and like 2028, it's going to look like this. And then, you know, and I think so, you know, even when you start thinking about that, the core things we can do around 5G that are really interesting right now is about how do we take the security and, you know, ease of provisioning and lifecycle management that's all available for smartphones today but it's not available for any other device. So as you said, like, it's not like the IOT sensors are connected well this way. It's not like, you know, cars aren't even really the uh, first class level device like, like an iPhone is on, on most mobile networks, you know, et cetera. And if you really look at a lot of the interest I see in there, it is largely not so much around latency, but around sovereignty and privacy issues. I think I think that that that's definitely interest an interesting area to to debate. I I, I was just thinking about um, ITOT convergence. You, you sort of get a clash of priorities from a security perspective, because when you've got a data center data centric network with humans at the core, with human operators, etc., like. In, in the IT environment, you, you're probably going to put confidentiality and data privacy right up there as your main priority and then maybe integrity and availability after that. And with OT mm -hmm. environments, it, it's, it's, it's exact, kind of turned on its head opposite. a little bit. It's more like exact availability opposite. is the core where your asset is your factory getting that product built and your integrity and, and your um, confidentiality maybe are, are a little bit lower down in priority with the exception of sort of secret recipes no, like Coca-Cola or think, things like that. But No, or you end up with this idea that, that you know, integrity and availability are really the key ones. That you'd actually be more interested in, because even when you look at a lot of the deployment models that are happening in the edge now, you know, and what, what people are doing from, you know, like clouds are still being used like a system of record. You know, we're pulling entire Kubernetes clusters and Docker containers and so on like that. A lot of the edge workloads have the same type of mobility characteristics that the devices themselves have, you know, versus static deployments that you see on clouds. And so they also tend to be relatively transient and they tend not to be the system of record from a data perspective. And so, they, they really end up being treated in a more immutable type way. So literally like a deployment that comes in, what's run, a gaming backend for this that's sort of gone and done. These are basically environments that, that one doesn't write to. Um, and so when you start thinking about how that's even a lot of the interest right now, you know, whether we realize it or not, these are high integrity, highly available 
mobile environments. Um, and um, things don't necessarily persist. You know, it's meant to be that if a, a device shows up and an application shows up and a group of people show up to play Pokemon Go in some part of the city, you know, then they're able to be in their own dynamically grouped network and have their own back end. But when they're gone, all that's gone. Um, and, you know, that has to be a trusted workload that's present within an environment that normally third-party workloads aren't trusted to run in. And the people that are putting it there don't want other people to mess with it as well. And so you tend to actually go with very high integrity, highly available environments. Um, so I, 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 I agree. It's, it's, it's almost flipped on the other end of it. Yeah, I think I think that's a it's a really really interesting potential uh, feature of of five G networks as well. That ability to to provide dynamic bandwidth and latency based on user demand, because because one of the problems mm -hmm. is is cell density with with five G and and. And, and that's fine in city environments, but if there's yeah. suddenly a surge in demand in a localized area that, that where maybe there is a Pokemon Go or, or some other event yeah. where, where you need to get that bandwidth, the ability to, yeah. to orchestrate the network at the mobile layer to, to enable that yeah. is, is, is a pretty cool uh, future, future uh, feature. No, it's all, and, and it's, and it, if you look, I mean, you know, cause when you start poking into like, what are some of the common characteristics of things that make sense? And you, you guys have already said a few of them, you know, whenever you go from one device or one viewer to multiple devices, multiple viewers, and now the people and or their devices have to be coordinated in some way. And that could be a group of people standing in a circle, holding up a device, trying to look at the same Pokemon. Uh, it could be five cars on a road where you're trying to do some traffic management. Uh, it could be managing flight manifests for a fleet of drones where you're not the only company in that city with a fleet of drones. Uh, you know, it could actually be sitting there and saying that, no, we actually need to understand that there's a chain of custody for video offloaded off these security cameras. I mean, it can be the whole sort of range like that. They have some common characteristics in them. And, and, and it is these types of things where, you know, the second we're going from, you know, this idea that we're all staring down at our phone and we're consuming video and it takes over the entire screen and we're all consuming the same video. The second we have a mix of digital content with content that's coming off of the camera on the device, whether it's a smartphone, a camera on a drone, one of the 16 cameras on a car and so on, but that digital combined with that camera on the device and then now, if you think about it, that digital content, like that Pokemon or the like, it, it now exists in a specific location in the world, which is not normally, like normally when you're watching a movie on Netflix, the movie's not supposed to exist in your front yard. But this is supposed to exist in the front yard. And somebody else comes along with their phone, holds it up. They're supposed to see the same thing in the same place because they're going to you know, use a wand to do something at it or throw a ball at it or, 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 or the like. Um, and that, that type of, you know, digital content delivery where it has to get mapped and overlaid uh, into a real-time video feed and then real-time video feeds across multiple devices is a non-trivial technical problem, you know, to solve in itself. But in a way, when you think about it, and this is where I said it, it relates to the autonomous car stuff, is in, you know, getting some degree of autonomy and interactivity and personal personalization and personal behavior and some degree of collaboration between even those digital assets and what you may call an AR world, it gets no different than when you start talking about physical delivery. Mm -hmm. You know, there, there, there ends up being, you know, it ends up being no difference really between a drone and a Pokemon, you know, from what's technically needed by the backends and the network and so on. You just have more stringent requirements than around performance and, and security as you head into physical devices that may fall on somebody. Yeah, I, I think in, in a way you can view 5G as sort of uh, playing catch up on the transport side because if you think about yeah. it five, yeah. five, ten years ago, we had the big data revolution where we suddenly be able, became able to process and store large quantities of data 
much larger than yeah. before, and and we, we don't have any problem with creating the data, of course, We've, with IoT, with, with just the in, internet connecting people around the world, and, and, yeah. and more internet connected lives, but we, we do have a problem with transportation, and, and, and yeah. there's an old adage that, um, that the, the quickest way to transport large quantities of data is just to take it on hard disks in a truck. <laughs> and yeah. I think we, we actually have a chance to change that with... Sneaker, 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 sneaker yeah. net. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. absolutely. And I think also when you look at some of the things that you could potentially do with 5G, you know, you, you guys were talking about kind of augmented reality concepts there where you could overlay or interlay, you know, digital content into, you know, what it is that you actually see through the camera app on your phone. Mm-hmm. You take that to another level and look at it from the standpoint of, you know, medicine, healthcare. And the ability where, you know, right now you could have a doctor that is, you know, in the office doing some kind of robotic, you know, surgery or procedure, but typically it's happening where the doctor is right next to the patient. But, you know, it could be very transformative for the world if you could actually have that doctor doing that in some way with extraordinarily low latency um, to to somewhere else in the world where maybe that doctor otherwise could not be at that time. And that, I think, is something that's really interesting as well. That's totally interesting. Yeah, I mean, we've we've actually been experimenting doing that in in the UK. Um, we've we've managed to set up a sort of five G connected ambulance where we're able mm-hmm. to sort of transmit that clinical expertise from the hospital to the ambulance while it's in transit, so that we can mm-hmm. speed up the the treatment time. And mm-hmm. and I think they've been able to do it for things like uh, ultrasound tests and things similar to that where you need a sort of dedicated hand movement, which is an expert-guided uh, action, which is not necessarily always locally at hand. And yeah. Um, yeah. so we've actually made that one real in, in the UK, which, which is pretty cool. Oh, can, I, can I interject when, just to help my uh, small brain understand this? I'm, I'm picturing cloud-like and container-like capabilities where it isn't just the delivery of content or data, but it's no, no, but, but, that, but that, that, that there's a state of this information available at all times. Yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, you know, there's a couple, I mean, I think first comment is you, you, you can really think of, you know, taking this type of idea that it's about transforming transport, you know, what about containers and Kubernetes and what's going on anyway? I, mean, I, I think, and we've been saying 5g a lot, but, but, the context is really that, you know, in the case of 1G, you know, that we launched now, you know, in the early 1970s, you know, it was, you know, Motorola and NTT Docomo, and, you know, there's only one network in the world for about, you know, four or five years. You know, when you look at sort of like 1G being voice and then heading into 2G and then heading into 3G, you know, and heading into 4G, you know, even that sort of rise of mobile networks in that point was so that we'd get to the thing with 4G, you know, the rise of a smartphone and getting to the point where everything was basically um, an IP service on a data network, right? So we're doing voice over LTE. And so voice is on that, messaging is on that, data is on that, but it's all basically, you know, there. Now, the big thing I've always found interesting for the transition from 4G to 5G is that it's really about the transition in my sense of like, you know, 1G, 2G, 3G, 4G, and then a big change to 5G, 6G, 7G, 8G. And so I think when we look at a lot of the aspects of 5G, it's not, because 5G will probably, I mean, one, the, the odd number of Gs are always not good. And the even number of Gs always fix some issues with it and they're better. You know, 2G better than 1G, 4G better than 3G, 5G will probably have some issues. It does have some issues. You know, some of those issues are showing up in like, you know, the conversation around 6G designs, you know, that, 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 that sort of thing. But what we have here in the case of the transition to 5G is a lot, a lot of the interest is more, you know, the wireline and wireless convergence and doing a lot of cleanup around what we've been doing from an infrastructure standpoint and the assets that everybody's ended up with. Uh, you know, and the like, and it's it's meant to be a, a post-cloud type design, right? Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I think that's the key thing for people to sort of realize 
you know, because I, I swear if we get too hung up on 5G, you know, we'll be talking about, you know, the 6G specs, uh, you know, uh, soon enough. I think I think probably yeah. the, the, the thing I'd, I'd raise in, in, in terms of conversation about 1, 1G through 5G is I don't think you can view 5G uh, as an isolated isolated thing. It, it relies... Yeah. Yeah. often in on on hybrid mobile networks behind it so there's yeah. Yeah. um i mean there's already proven downgrade attacks from 5g to 4g and 3g and then you inherit yeah. all the problems from those 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 mobile network protocols but um but but there's also the, the issue of there's going to be a period as there is right now where 5g networks are not being built necessarily from the ground up they're, they've got they're yeah. relying on the backhaul that exists already for the other networks there um, and, and 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 in order to extend that 5g network you, your your handset that is 5g enabled will, will probably back off to 4g in places and and so i, I yeah. think we have to consider that that sort of um that, that sort of thing too Oh yeah, and I would also line. add to that that I think the the other aspect too is that 5G. I kind of feel, and, and I think all of the Gs, it's an evolution, right? So there will be eventually a 6G, 7G. Who knows how many Gs it goes to, right? Um, but I think the interesting kind of inflection point that we have with what is contemplated with 5G is the way I'll, I'll say it is that you know historically, if you wanted high speed, low latency, it meant you had to be initially on a on a uh, high grade copper connection, and then it was fiber, and the, you, you always got faster speeds if you were you know on your laptop or your desktop in your office or physically connected into a router, and then we had you know Wi-Fi picked up speed, but now we kind of have a, an area where you know if you're in a position to potentially have 5G coverage, your mobile device could work just as fast, if not faster, wherever it happens to be. And that wherever could could change as you move. Whereas historically, if you wanted that kind of capability, it generally meant you had to be stationary. You had to be physically yeah. plugged into something or you had to be physically next to, you know, a high throughput Wi-Fi connection. Well, Whereas I think, I think with did. 5G, that, that's going to change yeah. a lot. Well, and that's, that's what I think a lot of people that are outside of the telecom space don't necessarily understand as you just hit exactly what the debate has been. And it's been a long debate, you know, whether you want to think of it as being 10, 20, 30 years, 40 years, you look at like what the vendors have had to do. It's been the debate versus the wireless versus the wireline guys, you know, and so is wireless an add on to your wired stuff, you know, or is wireless a true replacement for everything wired, right? And in the case of, you know, 5G, what we're seeing is that from a core perspective and access perspective and so on, it's going to be easier to get one gig, two gig, you know, 10 gig type connectivity over wireless to your home than it's going to be to basically run, uh, you know, fiber like that and last mile and everything else, uh, you know, and it's going to be good enough and we can do this and we can do that. And then, you know, lo and behold, the, the type of core functionality that's there can take over aspects of wireline and Wi-Fi and you know, in a lot of ways, it's, it's the, you know, the mobile groups, if you will, and either the vendors or the operators basically, winning out, you know, sort of, if you will. And look, a lot of that's driven because if, 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 a, if an end consumer or somebody in enterprise is given the choice of, you know, do you want something that's like wireless, cordless, hands-free or not, you know, they're always going to pick wireless, cordless, hands-free. Um, and, uh, you know, and I think, you know, 5G to me is sort of a, it, it's like the end of a lot of debates that have been going on for 15 to 20 years in the space of like, yeah, it's not cellular versus Wi-Fi. It's not this versus that. It's not here versus there. You know, it's basically, um, you know, there. And, and, and you see that where, look, you go to vendors like an Ericsson Nokia, you know, 20, 20, 20, 25 years ago, those vendors, the wireline guys ran the companies. And now those things are dead. You know, and then, you know, the, the funny part about it, though, is that there's still wireline stuff there. There's still circuit switch here. There's still sort of this guy there. And then 5G is meant to kill the remainder of those things and just make it so that we go out, we build cloud clouds. If you build a cloud and it's present there, then you call an edge, your network's in a workload that runs on that edge. And that, that, that network will go and be a network regardless of how you're going to go connect to it. And the core technologies in the middle of it are going to be coming from the mobile space, not the wired space. Interesting stuff. And I, I want to bring it back to uh, a little closer to the security and, and perhaps even privacy aspect of things. And so 
early on there was it seemed there was a lot of talk about getting security right uh, with 5G. And I'm wondering, have we done a decent job there? Do we know yet? Um, have, have we plugged holes? <laughs> have we exposed new ones? Yeah. No, I don't. Talk, I don't think. I don't. That. I don't think. I don't think we. I mean, I don't think we know yet. And, and there's there's a lot of stuff that isn't. Um, because you know, like some issues we've had, which is funny, like you take you take the idea of um, even like an AR game in a market like Germany, where you know you're doing something like uh, you know Minecraft Earth, right? Um, meaning that a lot of the AR content that's out there and different things we're doing is not necessarily meant to persist somewhere, and now we're starting to have these things that are meant to persist somewhere. Um, and, um, you know, you start running things where, okay, is, is there an API or service that's present for a physical property owner to get rid of a digital asset that somebody's placed in something dominant like Minecraft off their lawn? Uh, you know, if the content was made by somebody under the age of 14, it's protected content. If your kids go and say, welcome to the Hoffman household. That's person identifying information that's present on a digital plaque that's on the outside of your house. It's only present in this. Do you, you, you know, how, how do you sort of, you know, protect that or get rid of that or does it violate the law or not? You know, then once you head into, you know, as we talked about before, unmanned traffic management or anything else, and you're butting right up against civil aviation authorities and what does that system look like and so on. And so I, I think honestly, the, we spend so much time talking about latency, 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 and sort of the 5G space and on. But when you start looking at an increased number of devices, the devices having to coordinate, the devices doing important things, you start looking at persistent AR content in the world, and you slam right up against regulatory environments and stuff that are not ready for that. You slam right up against new sovereignty and sort of privacy issues that just aren't being dealt with in an adequate way, in my opinion, without having the conversation about. Yeah, I think I think yeah, there's definitely big people and process problems that that it's going to raise that we're going to have to deal with uh, somehow, um, either through technology change or legal change. But um, I just on on the point about vulnerabilities. Uh, I think 5G has been designed with security at its heart, um, but uh, the jury is kind of out on whether it will be seen as more secure in the future. We've already seen that there are attacks possible, um, man-in-the-middle attacks that are sort of rogue base station but slightly different to how it's done with 4G. Um, you can do things like uh, spoof the client side and uh, talk back to the network and, and, and tell it that actually you don't want the uh, yourself to have as much uh, bandwidth as you would normally give it. And so you can sort of like denial of service some of the clients talking back to the, the, the cell network. Um, so there's those type of attacks that are still possible. Um, and, and there's definite fingerprinting attacks that are, that are possible. I think it was uh, the Technical University of Berlin and, and uh, Sintef in Norway that were uh, presenting at, at Black Hat this year um, on, on, on some attacks that they'd found. So there are, there are already vulnerabilities that are being disclosed and, and patched, um, but, but I think the jury's out of whether this will be seen as, as more secure. And I would add to that too that I think you're you know you're spot on on a lot of that. I think you know with any technology, no matter what it is, no matter what it claims to be, there's mm -hmm. I think the potential for us to agree that there's going to be vulnerabilities, and there's going to have to be efforts undertaken. I mean, heck, look at the technology that we're all probably using today to browse the web and send our email. It's been around for decades, and you know every every now and yeah. then we're, we're we're having other patches and vulnerabilities and updates we need to do. So I think. Every technology is going to have its own issues, and I think the question is going to be how is it that we're going to go about addressing those? How are we going to patch them? How, how capable is the technology to be able to, to handle that? And I think probably the earliest risks and concerns we're probably really going to see is going to be that there's probably not so much going to be the issue of the network. I think the issue is going to be much more around endpoints, and mm -hmm. as it becomes easy cheap uh, to add devices for someone to come out and say, hey, I've got this great new widget and now all of a sudden there's, you know, a million, 10 million, 100 million of them out there floating around sitting on networks 
that I think is where probably we're going to see more of the the risks and concerns first. You know, what is it that people have in their homes that they don't even realize is connected to a network and what the implications of that might be? Yeah. Um, and then the same on the business side, right? You, you know, we, we see lots of situations today where we go out and do incident response and we find organizations don't know what they have in their environment. And that's before you add in the complexities of how easy it might be to add more through something like 5G. Um, so I, no, I think yeah, the, the network in and of itself is not going to be the biggest part of the challenge. I think that's that's going to be, you know, just kind of the transport in the early stages. It's going to be about what people do with the endpoints they put on the network and how they secure right. and um, but, but I think that, but that, but that's what, that's what goes back to even just the, some of the initial points in the conversation is one thing I wish we were being more creative about and we meaning just as, a, as an industry and everything like is that um, it would be very sad if we go and build out these great 5G getting ready for 6G networks and we redo the core and we redo this and we redo that. And then somehow everything having to do with security and privacy was still manual and responding to incidences. You know, like there, there are things we could be doing now around, you know, what, what type of APIs are we developing to actually exchange information with one another? You know, how are we doing, you know, like something automatic and sort of this, how are we sort of going and doing that? You know, what are, what are really products that we should be putting out in the space around sovereignty and privacy and security that should be used for enterprise and industrial customers, you know, and, 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 and so on. Yeah. I'm, I'm yeah, still just not seeing enough there around that. And my concern, yeah, as we sit around and, we do these deployments and then it's like, okay, great. Let's go back to, you know, filling out, you know, vulnerabilities in a spreadsheet and mail it to somebody to input it in the database somewhere or something. Mm. I think, I think you're, you're spot on there. We, we need, we need to have some kind of revolution in the security industry and in, in the way we think about threats and, and potentially the, the answer to that, the, the best that we've seen so far is, is zero trust. Like let's let's make the the application or the server side play a, a big much bigger part in the trust um, authentication yeah. and and how do yeah. we flex that authentication based on the activity we see uh, in terms of access now and historically and and mm-hmm. and so given that that we're we're able to transport and process with big data technologies a lot more data than previously then that that's that's now a reality so i think we might also yeah. be able to solve that problem too I'm glad you mentioned auth because it's one of the things I want to touch on quickly before we wrap. But it, access control, authorization, um, and identity. Uh, we talk about all those sensors and devices. Uh, how are we sitting with respect to that whole game? <laughs> it's the same. It's the same. I mean, it's, it's the same. It's, in, it's everything I just said applies to that. Sorry to laugh, but... It's one of those ones where, like, you know, everything's getting bigger, 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 but, you know, we're not necessarily dealing with it in the most automated, digital, scalable way. So, yeah, there's the other hot topic that, I, that we, we both know well, Jason, which is the, the integrity of the data. Uh, are, we, yeah. are we solving that problem yet? I, I think on, on that side, when there's so much talk about, about bandwidth, with with 5G, we're sort of placing a lot more emphasis on availability, and I think yeah, there's a danger that integrity might get sort of yeah. put in the background. I mean, we we talked earlier about how um, OT networks put availability first as well, and and productivity first, and integrity comes later, and so there definitely is a danger about that. And when you look at the the ways that IoT devices are authenticating in in the in the early protocols that are being developed right now. Encryption is, is, is an afterthought and, and actually not baked into quite a few of them. So if, if you are sniffing the wire, you can see the data that the, the IoT device is transmitting. So, um, I mean, it's, it's amazing, isn't it? But, yeah. You know. and when, well, and I when, think the other thing, too, to consider here is a lot of what we're mentioning is not, you know, these are, these are not new problems and, and no. 5G in and of itself isn't necessarily part of it, right? When we have IoT devices that aren't properly authenticating or that aren't encrypting, these are things we already know today. These are challenges we deal with, I mean, heck, probably deal with pre-4G. Um, and yeah. so I think the upside we do have here is 
cybersecurity, cyber hygiene, all of those things that we should be doing today, we should also be doing tomorrow, and we should be doing with 5G and 6G. And I don't, I don't yeah. necessarily think that the biggest concerns no, we but, have are something new and unknown. I think it's more of the scale and how fast we can keep up with the, the technology change while still applying that kind of hygiene to what we're doing. I mean, I'm, 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 I, I, I think of it, I mean, in a similar, I mean, somewhat, I mean, like when I've, when I've made those comments, it's a bit more where, you know, look, I mean, you, you guys, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm, we're, we're owned by an operator. You guys are an operator. And when you look at our own and, and, and our main activities, product development, right. And when you sit and you think about, we're launching new 5G services, we're launching a new backend for this, we're launching a new workflow for this, it's for this enterprise customer, this industrial customer, this consumer use case, and so on like that. Your 5G is a bit more about, you know, in this case, it's like, oh, there's going to be some new product development in the launch of some new services. And I'm saying that in the context of that, let's make sure that those services that we can launch now largely have to do with like, okay, let's go tackle some of these longstanding issues and have an API in place that allows this and an architectural design that prevents that. And let's have this make sure that's a zero trust environment sort of there. It's a little more of an opportunity for those of us in the telco space that our product development type efforts are ones that can go and tackle these issues. Mm-hmm. now versus waiting for one millisecond latencies a few years down the road. Let's go do a service around that. I mean, yeah, you know, there's stuff yeah, now I, to do. I, I, I think, I think we, what, what I'm hearing, I, I completely agree with that, that we are in danger of making the same mistakes again with IoT, but, but we do have a clean slate to work from. So I don't think we should be too mm-hmm. complacent there. Um, what, yeah. what I will say in terms of positivity is uh, I, I'm seeing indications of patch management systems being thought of at least, not, not built in right now, but thought of. And uh, it's nice to see that GSMA have already have a coordinated vulnerability disclosure program from the start for for 5G. Um, So so there's some foundation elements there which can help us. But I think, yeah, there's definitely work to do there. Um, I think what's good and bad from a security perspective is there's still no real mature IoT firmware platform. So there's no sort of standard to work on um, and and I think it, it's nice to see that OWASP already have some fundamentals of, of principles for IoT devices and security. But I think again, there's there's the, those are still maturing. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Okay. I have literally a handful of questions I'd want to ask, but we don't have time. <laughs> so, so maybe another chat uh, down the road, uh, looking at globalization and different societies and on regulatory landscape, all kinds of interesting things. But um, I'm going to have to kind of wrap it up here. And I'd, I'd like to give you each just a, a quick moment to say a final word as you do on these. Um, some advice, some caution, some here are some resources you can go look at. Anything to leave our audience with to, to kind of maybe explore a little more beyond what we were able to talk about today? Jason, won't you kick it off? No, I think it's just what I've been saying, and that is that a lot of the immediate opportunities around products and new services in the 5G space, in my opinion, are more on the security and privacy side. And a lot of the other things that we talk about, you know, heading into the lower latency environments and so on, are a few years away, and we'll get to those. And, and we should use the time that we have right now to really launch some new sort of services in the space that are helping people out on, on you know, that, that sort of security, sovereignty, privacy issues. Yeah, so I, I'd say um, a couple of things that, that I would comment on. One is um, cyber hygiene and the importance of it, because I do think that we have um, a significant advantage now. Um, one, I think that, that 5G and everything around it has been developed with the knowledge and experience of what we learned from all the previous Gs, if you will. Um, and also the cybersecurity landscape was far less mature 
back in those days, what we were worried about and what was happening and what could happen were very different than what we know today. And so I think there's also the opportunity to layer more in and apply a lot of what we do in the wireline side of our world that we have been doing for decades and understanding how we apply that on the wireless side in order to you know, more effectively mitigate and manage um, the, the risk side of the equation. Yeah, I just, uh, I guess I'd just like to close by, by sort of saying what I started out with, that um, I think there's some great use cases that we're seeing a lot about um, smart cities and, and autonomous vehicles for 5G. But I think there's actually a, a hidden use case for security here where the, the extra bandwidth is creating an opportunity to, to do much better monitoring and visibility that we haven't had before. And I think if we can, if we can pin that down, then, then we can sort out the IoT security issues as well. And I think here, the here. final thing I'd like to do is, is just uh, point your listeners towards uh, the Cybersecurity Information Security Agency's uh, 5G paper from last July. I think that's a great paper if, if they're looking for some sort of guidance on what is 5G, what are the security issues associated with it, because it's a great summary. Yeah, that's great. I'll, I'll locate that and link to that uh, in, the, in the show notes. Listen, guys, I, I really appreciate your time. Uh, great conversation, great insight, some really cool case studies, use cases that, uh, that I had not heard before. So thanks for sharing all of those. And uh, you're all welcome anytime. Uh, to chat about this and anything else you're passionate about. So thanks for uh, thanks for sharing today. Thanks very Thank much, Sean. Thank Always you all. Pleasure. Thank you for joining us for today's conversation at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. If you like what you heard, please consider joining our quest to help us raise awareness for cybersecurity and cyber safety in our everyday lives, all day, every day. Please take a moment to visit this episode on ITSP Magazine to learn more about our sponsors and be sure to subscribe to our newsletter. And of course, stay tuned here for a new episode coming to you soon on ITSP Magazine. Thank you very much. Insights, solutions, and networking all come together at RSA Conference. Join a global cybersecurity community at rsaconference.com forward slash ITSP MAG24.